Good morning. The reading for this morning is out of John chapter 20, verses 19 through 23. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors... Whoa. A lot of air up here. Uh, hold this a little differently. I'm going to start over. Uh, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you, Zach. Um, so Zach is also a resident here, so that's exciting. We just have him read scripture now. No. He, um, I got to graduate from our residency here, and um, we've had a number of people do it, so we're excited to have Zach. And, yeah. um, well, we're going to be in John 20, so if you have your Bible, your app, go ahead and flip it open to there now. Um, and before we jump in, I just wanted to say one thing. Uh, we are having baptisms this Easter, and I wanted to encourage you, if you are walking with the Lord and you've not been baptized, get baptized. Get baptized because the Lord commanded it. Jesus said, get baptized. And because when we get baptized, we're showing what's happened in our heart. And it's a formal thing that we do outwardly to show our inward belonging to the church. So get baptized if you are that person. Or if you haven't been walking with the Lord and you're like, it's time. And you're like, I want to get baptized. Contact Frank. He would love to talk to you um, connect with you about um, getting baptized on Easter which is going to be a party because uh, fun things are going to happen. Um, tune in. So we're going to jump in. I'm going to pray first. Uh, Heavenly Father, weak and needy I go to this task um, to take your message, your truth, um, and present it to form us to look more like you. Uh, you came that we would have life abundantly. And this is an opportunity for us to experience more of that abundant life. Lord, let me not treat any of this worthy material um, in any defective way. I pray, Lord, that your words would come through me. I pray you'd help me get out of the way. Um, and I pray that your word would be what's remembered here, Lord. Um, God, illuminate our minds, inflame our hearts. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> well, if you were here last week, Pastor Tyler... James came up here and brought us in through the uh, uh, Jesus appearing, the risen Lord appearing to Mary. And Jesus appears to her, first one, and then he sends her. Before we get into what we're going to talk about, it's important we recognize Jesus chooses a woman who at that time had no grounds in court to make any witness or anything like that. A woman, lowly stature, and he, uses, he says, this is going to be my first person that I send as a messenger, as the risen Lord. I think that is a super cool note, again, showing that the Lord lifts up those who are humble. And also, the message and the one who is sending us 
is where the power is, not in the one being sent. So as we go into this and we jump into this, has nothing to do with our capabilities and faculties and any of that. It has everything to do with the Lord using us, the Lord who is sending and his message. Uh, so let's open up John 20. It says this, verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were feared for, the, for, 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 for fear of the Jews. So this is giving us the setting. I love it when it does this. So this is the same day that Jesus rose. So when he appears to Mary and he says, I'm going to go to the Father, go and tell the, you know, tell the boys I'm coming. And then he's there and we're, this is the evening. Some people say, well, because it says it's the evening, they're showing that they're still in darkness. They're still in fear for fear of the Jews. And so there's a little bit of that. And that could be that it also could be it's just the evening of the, the day that Jesus rose. And he's appearing to the disciples. Um, and I would imagine that these guys are, it says they're afraid of the Jews, are scared out of their wits. Um, they're locked behind closed doors. Some think they're meeting to figure out what to do next. Because they just, some witness, John did, and all of them got to witness Jesus being taken, and then he was brutally murdered, the one that they were following. So naturally, they're afraid, because they're, they could be brutally murdered. And so what do we do next? They're meeting, they're, what do we do next? The body's gone. They're going to come looking for us. Did we take it? And Mary said, hey, he's coming, but they're not glad yet. They're still afraid for fear of the Jews. And then Jesus came and stood among them, and he said to them, peace be with you. I think it's so wonderful for us to see just the heart of Jesus here. He says, peace be with you. The last time that the disciples saw him, they were scrambling. They left Jesus high and dry, not doing what their very title was, disciple, follower of Jesus, not doing the thing they're supposed to be doing. And Jesus sees them, and I mean, of course, they're like, oh my gosh, you were dead. Um, but also, oh my gosh, the last time I saw you, I was like running away and not there for you in your time of need. And Jesus says, peace be with you. He doesn't say, what up, guys? How you doing? I missed you. He doesn't say, how about that time? You remember when, you know, Matthew's going to write about it later, but you like, earthquake happened, the veil was torn in the temple, dead people rose. That was crazy, right? He doesn't say any of that. He calms their hearts and says, peace be with you. I think it's important that we try and think, why would this be the first thing that he says? I think there's a lot more to this statement. And, and we'll get into that, but I want to talk about some other things before we jump into that. Uh, verse 20, it says, When Jesus had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So they confirm that this is the risen Lord. They confirm that this is Jesus, and their fear turns to gladness. Guys, in the presence of Christ, our fear turns to gladness. Jesus says, peace be with you. They get to touch the hands and the side. And all I'm saying is how neat that these guys are so close with Christ that when they see him, they go and touch his wounds. I love Frank. He's got his arm thing. 
I'm not going to go touching his wounds after I see him. Do you know what I'm saying? I lo- I've, been, I've been with, you know, I've known Frank for a number of years. But I'm, they are so close with Christ that they touch his hands and they touch his side. And later when Jesus appears to Thomas, we see that. And I think it's really neat for us to just show the heart of Christ here. He's revealing himself as not just a guy that we follow, but as a personal, close, relational God of the universe that as a child might jump up and I was holding Presley and she's playing with this little poof mic thing the whole time I'm holding her, but no one else touched my poof mic thing. But my daughter knows me, is close with me, and I am her daddy. So she has no qualms with, also she's one and a half, but she has no qualms with grabbing my, my poof mic thing. So I think it's important to note that Jesus is so tender with his flock, shows them such care and love, even after they wronged him and left, that they are so comfortable to be with him. They see him and they're glad. I don't want to move past that too quickly, but fear is replaced with gladness. In John 16, 22, it says, uh, so Jesus is talking to the disciples. This is a couple of chapters before this, and, and he's saying, hey, I have to go. You're not going to come with me. You're going to be sad, but I'm going to return, and you are going to rejoice. And he says, so also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. In the presence of Jesus, there is joy and no one can take that away. It's yours. You don't have to ask for it. It's there. Take hold of it and don't give it away because no one can take it from you. This is the inheritance of the Lord. In his presence, we have gladness, joy. So um, as we move on, in uh, verse 21, it says, Jesus said to them again, peace be with you as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Again, he says, peace be with you. The first thing he says is peace be with you. And then again, he says, peace be with you. I'm a simple dude. And someone told me once that when a teacher says something over and over, you're supposed to write it down, and it's important. Well, this is communicating through repetition something important. There's something to this peace talk. There's something there. And, and when I think of peace, I think of a few things, and I'm, I'm not sure what you think of when you hear the word peace. Maybe you think of like a treaty like scene in your head, or maybe you're like me, and you think of being in one of those like rafts that you sit in, in the water and fishing, and it's like quiet and there's not a bunch of boats and craziness happening or, or you're getting to go on the hike for your hunt and it's just before dawn and it's a little bit chilly but you get to see wildlife. and Maybe that's the piece you're thinking of or maybe that's just me. I think of breathing easy. I think of being able to rest and sleep at night because you're at peace. If you're like me, if something's really bothering you, you do not sleep even if you're exhausted. You'll, you'll go to sleep and then you'll wake up an hour later and think all night about something. I realized, though, that this was a pretty common greeting. So in the Hebrew, the Jewish people would say shalom. And this, of course, was written in Greek. It wasn't written in Hebrew. But shalom, peace, common greeting. But something very uncommon is happening here. Yes, it's a common greeting, but the first thing Jesus says and the second thing Jesus says is peace be with you. There's something here. John, through the power of the Holy Spirit, is trying to wake us up to see something. 
And I want us to see that. Uh, George Beasley Murray, he's a commentator, who wrote a commentary on John, and he said, never had that common word been so fulfilled with meaning as when Jesus uttered it on Easter evening. This piece has layers. Ogres have layers. This piece has layers. There's more to understand here. And we also need to recognize what Jesus is also saying. He just finished the work on the cross and rose again. This is the most incredible thing that has ever happened on the planet. So incredible, like I said before, that people are raised from the dead, that earthquakes happen. Like this, the Lord of the universe died and was raised again. He obtained a perfect, permanent, true peace, renewed, that can never be taken away. And he gives it freely. This costly piece that he obtained, costly, so expensive that it took the most expensive currency the world ever knew, our Lord's blood, paid with it with his blood, the most expensive currency, the most costly gift, this costly piece he gives freely. Peace be with you. And he doesn't just say, peace be with you, like may peace be with you. He commands that peace to them. Peace be with you. The God of the universe author of the universe, agent of creation, authority over all things. And he says, peace be with you, as a command, giving it. So this gift is something given. It's our inheritance. We cannot be taken away. Uh, and it's important to recognize that he goes on and he breathes on them and gives them the spirit. In John 14, 26 through 27, so a few chapters before what we looked at, um, it says this, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all the things um, and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. This passage is so cool because chapters, Jesus is preparing the hearts of his disciples for this moment that we're talking about now. And he's saying, don't be afraid. Take my peace. I'm going to give it to you when I send my spirit to you. But that peace comes with the spirit. Cannot have that peace without the spirit. And if you have the spirit, you have the peace. It's yours. If you are in Christ, you have his spirit and you have his peace. This is a godly peace and it does require the person of the Holy Spirit. So I've, a couple things I want us to recognize. First is that this peace is permanent. It's not a peace that's wavering, like today I feel peaceful because this is a peace of permanence. Not even death can kill this peace. Second, this is a godly peace. It comes with the person of God. So Jesus gives peace by giving the spirit of peace. Nine times I counted in scripture that it says that God is a God of peace, a prince of peace, the spirit of peace. So it is the person that gives us this peace. We learn in Galatians 5.22 that it's a fruit of the Spirit to have peace. He who has the Spirit has peace. But the third is that this peace has to be given. In our human hearts, peace does not reside naturally. King Jesus, authority over all things, he must give this. Um, there's this movie called Click. I'm not sure if any of you have seen it. 
Um, it's also been a long time since I've seen it, so I'm not, I'm not saying, hey, go watch it. It's a great movie. I don't remember if there's any like inappropriate stuff. So, but there's this, there's this thing that came to mind, and I wanted to bring it up. There's a, um, an assistant that Adam Sandler has, and she continues to go up to him and say, hey, can I use the bathroom? And he's like, yes, like go and use the bathroom. And then over and over throughout the movie, she's asking to go to the bathroom. And he said, I've, like, I've already given you the permission to go and use the bathroom. Stop asking me. But she continues to go and ask. Now, I'm not saying this is the disposition of Jesus, but I think that we're a lot like that assistant. Jesus has given us his peace, and yet we continue to keep asking for him something that he's already given us. I think instead we may ask, Lord, help me receive the peace you've given. We've already been given the Lord's peace. This peace I give to you. If you are in Christ, this peace is yours. So, but like I said, the nature of the human heart is not naturally peaceful. Um, in Genesis 3, if you, if you don't read the first three chapters of the Bible and then you start somewhere else, it can be really disorienting. Because in chapter 3, we see that the God who made everything and the people that are there um, that's where sin starts and the need of redemption is there. And so in Genesis 3, sin enters the world and corrupts everything. And now there's this natural human heart of sin. No one is good. Romans 3 makes this really, really clear. And he says, uh, Paul says in Romans, as it is written, none is righteous. No, not even one. No one understands. No one seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Again, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. Get this. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. This is the natural state of man. We need the spirit of peace to have peace. This does not come from human ability. Uh, Jesus must give it. And when he gives it, it says he breathes on them. little uh, Greek note, which is kind of neat. The word that's used um, that he breathes on them is a nephususin. And before Jesus, uh, Alexander the Great came into this area and kind of made this a Grecian influence or a Greek-influenced area. And so the trade language or a natural language among different peoples in that area was Greek. A couple, uh, either we think it's around 3 to 1 BC that that this happened, but there is this Septuagint, which is 70, 70 guys get together and they translate the Old Testament into uh, into Greek. And the word that they used to translate in Genesis 2, when God breathes life into Adam, is this same word. So as God the Father breathes, and from his breath he gives life, Jesus breathes on his disciples, and as his breath gives life. Jesus is God. This is one of those moments, maybe we've heard it before, but Jesus is not filled with the substance of God. Jesus is the very substance of God. Through the Holy Spirit, John is writing and wants us to know clearly that this is the God of the universe, not just some guy. Again, and all through John, this is one of the things that we've seen over and over and over. John is always trying to tell us Jesus is God. 
So um, Jesus gives the Spirit, uh, but and I think a lot of us have been those people who have received from Jesus, but we continually forsake the peace. We're given peace. No one can take it from us, but we forsake it. If you're like me, oops, sorry. If you're like me, it's really easy to um, get anxious about little things. If you're like me, it's really easy to set my peace in something else. And when we do that, we're trusting something else to give us peace, and we're not trusting God to give us his peace. Same thing that we did in Genesis 3. God gave us something good, and we thought we could do something better. In this, I want us to hear, we, we have this peace, but let's not forfeit it for all the other things that we're going to try and find peace in. Uh, I know that, so for me, I love to please people. I love to love them. When I took the I have strengths finders, it was like woo was one of my things. This was like 15 years ago that I did that. But um, I, love, I love to make people feel loved. And so naturally, one of the ways that I find peace is through people pleasing. I can lay in bed totally perfect and, and rested and at peace if I've done a good job at pleasing people and I've not displeased anybody. I know some of us in here are probably people displeasers. You cannot have peace unless you've displeased somebody in the day. Maybe you work for, I said I wasn't going to say this again, but maybe you work for the IRS. I feel like it's just so perfect. You can't work for the IRS and just be a people pleaser. It doesn't make sense to me. But some of us in here cannot have peace unless we've done a good job of pleasing people. Some of us in here cannot have peace because we are money pontificators. We find our peace in pontificating money. How is my money doing and what can I do with my money? You lay in bed at night and you're checking your stocks. Maybe you're sitting there looking at your Roth or your mutual fund account, and if you're in stocks, I'm sorry, the last two years you probably have not had this piece, but um, we often like to think on our money. And from that, if we've paid our bills, if we've done good at an investment, if we've done good in at saving, then we can have peace. I'm not saying that good stewardship of your money is a bad thing. It's a great thing. But if that's where we find our peace, we're often going to find that we don't have peace. Some of us can only find peace in our accomplishment praising. We're accomplishment praisers. We love to be praised for our accomplishments, yeah, sure, but we love to praise our accomplishments. We got checklists. If I got through the checklist, I can lay in bed and I did good. But if I've not gotten through my checklist, if I have a lot of things to do, if I have the next thing to do, man, I cannot just sit here and go to sleep. I cannot just sit here and be at peace. Maybe it's that next deal you need to accomplish. Maybe it's that next promotion that you need to accomplish. Maybe it's finish school and get that piece of paper that says you're done, that accomplishment. Some of us can't be at peace until we get to whatever benchmark. But then once we get there, we find there's another benchmark. And there's another thing to accomplish, and we're still not at peace. Maybe you're a mom, and you have a lot to do. But you're not at peace until you get your kids up and fed and cleaned and dressed, and then you do, do the monastery learning for the day, and then uh, you've cleaned your house, you've cooked dinner, you've showered yourself finally, um, you've only lost your cool once, and you've made that cute Insta post for the day, and now you can have your peace. If our peace is found in the accomplishments that we do, we always have more things to do. 
We'll never be at peace. Some of us are problem parriers. We parry problems. We avoid them. We try to skirt them. Maybe we weren't good at juking in football, but we're really good at juking problems today. If I've done a good job at not creating more problems, then I can be at peace. If I have created problems, if there are problems I have to think about, I cannot be at peace. Many of us have different things that we put our peace in that is not Jesus. And we trust our control of things that we cannot control instead of trusting in Christ. Philippians 4, uh, 6-7 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Before we jump into a little bit more of what this passage is saying, I just want to note, this passage has been used as like a hurtful like ammunition too often. It is so unhelpful to tell someone when they're struggling with anxiety or anything to just stop. Oh, just instead of being anxious, just don't. That's really, that doesn't help. That's not what this is saying. So maybe you're, I mean, I know I've thought that at times. Maybe that, let's put that behind us and quit doing that. We cannot just simply stop something that we struggle with. We have to look towards something that will fix it. Here's something that I want us to hear. Peace is not the absence of turmoil. Peace is not the absence of trouble. Peace is the presence of Christ. This peace that surpasses all understanding is not like, oh, you can't comprehend all the things. That's probably true too, but it's more so saying it wouldn't make sense in your life that you would have peace. Because that peace is not contingent on all these other things, these extrinsic factors. If we make our peace on anything but Christ, you will not have peace. You might have moments of fluttering joy or whatever, and then it'll be gone. But in Christ, we've been gifted joy, and we've been gifted peace, and they're yours. Don't forfeit it for something lesser. I think we do this often. I know that I do. I just want to also say this. I'm not talking about clinical anxiety either. That's real. And I'm not speaking this to say, oh, man, like if you struggle with anxiety, just do this and then it'll fix that. There are, there are people that for no reason at all just are anxious. But there's other people who don't have that. We like to say that's the case, but it's not. The real thing is that we have unhealthy dwellings. We constantly dwell on unhealthy things. Guys, you, can, you can't stop a bird from flying over your head, but you can stop a bird from making a nest on your head. Philippians 4.8, yes, I know. <laughs> Philippians 4.8 is very clear. These are the things we should dwell on. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is pure, whatever is right, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, excellent, praiseworthy, dwell on those things. So if there's anything that's not those things, don't dwell on it. But we don't do that well. Then we get anxious, and then we wonder why God hasn't given us peace. He has. But we often forfeit our peace trying to find our peace in something else, and we start pontificating money, or we start waiting for the people pleasing, or you fill in the blank with whatever it is. And then we're waiting for us to feel that peace, but we just spiral down into this super negative, anxious spot. 
There's a reason why scripture says take every thought captive. It's because you can. You can't keep a bird from flying over your head, but you can keep a bird from making a nest on your head. Thoughts are going to come into your brains. But you take it captive, you hold it to Christ and his word, and then you do with it what you must, and sometimes you have to murder it. I love birds, you know. (laughs) So yes, we've been given this peace as our inheritance, but it's a peace with a purpose. We are given peace to be peace givers. We are not just given peace so that we can go out on an island and kick our feet up and be away from the world, and now we've reached peace nirvana, and I don't have to deal with the problems of the world. When Jesus prays for us in John 17, he doesn't say, He actually said, Lord, I do not pray that you take them out of the world. I pray that you keep them from the evil one. So we don't just get to leave the world and its problems and worries. Peace isn't the present, isn't the absence of troubles and turmoil. Peace is the presence of Christ. So it's in the presence of Christ that we get this peace that no one can take away from us, but we've given a mission with it. It says in verse 21 uh, that Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. We are sent as Jesus was sent. We're given peace, again, so we can be peace givers, as Jesus was sent. Sounds a lot like the Great Commission. Some people say this is John's version of the Great Commission. This is John's Great Commission. Every one of the Gospels has a form of us being sent. This is John's. We are not given peace for us alone. And often we think that this life with Christ is just us in Christ. And in some senses that's true, but it's not totally true. We're called to be a one body. And we're called to be in the world. And so Christ calls us to something. We're not just saved and then good, but we're saved for something. We're saved for a close personal relationship with Christ, and we're also saved to bring his message to the world, that others may have close personal relationships with Christ. So we have a mission here. Matthew 28 says it that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus. Similarly, he's going to talk about how he gives that authority to the apostles and to the disciples. So he says, Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you until the end of the age. Guys, if we think we're doing things for Christ, we're wrong. We should be doing things with Christ. If Christ doesn't go on things, we shouldn't want to go on things. But the way Christ works is that he goes before us and he goes with us. So we're not doing things for Jesus, like we get off our knees after praying in the morning and we leave him there in our rooms. No, Christ goes before us and goes with us. I don't think that this peace, like we're talking about, means do less things for the Lord or do less things in the name of the Lord. I think instead it means do things differently, do things with Jesus. And I think we're free to do a lot more in some senses. And in other times, the things we're doing, we can rest harder, we sleep harder, because it's in the presence of Christ that we have peace, not that we work for this peace. We work from this peace. Um, I'm going to reread verse 21. I'm going to go all the way through to verse 23. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. 
And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. A lot of people could read this and think, wow, they're allowed to forgive sins. And if that's the case, then I'm way wrong. I don't think that's the case. If we read other parts of Scripture, it's very clear that God alone is the one who forgives sins. Very clear. But I think what could be uh, helpful is Jesus also says something similar to this specifically to Peter. And then we're going to take a look at how Peter took that. But what he said to Peter in Matthew, he said in in, uh, Matthew 16, And I tell you, you are Peter, on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys, the authority, of the kingdom of heaven. All authority has been given to Jesus. He gives us authority as the church. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loose in heaven. Okay. Peter, how did you take this? Because, again, it sounds like you're getting some really cool things that other people can't do. You can forgive sins. This is how Peter took this. Acts 2, 38. And Peter said to them, this is is Peter giving one of the best sermons ever, second to Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Um, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Peter took this to say, I proclaim forgiveness in Christ. That's what it means. It means that we preach forgiveness in Christ. It doesn't mean that the church has any, no. Your your sins are forgiven in Christ alone, Romans 5 says, Romans 5, 1 says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You don't need anybody else to go and forgive your sins. Scripture is clear. If we confess our sins, the Lord is faithful and just to forgive them. It's the Lord who's faithful and just to forgive them, not the church, not people. So if you've been, risen, if you've been raised in different churches where they've said something like that, you can know, rest assured, that's not what Scripture actually teaches. This verse has been used to do that kind of stuff, but this verse actually means that we've been given the authority to go out and proclaim the gospel. That's what we do. We've been given this peace so that we can give this peace. So it begs the question, how are we doing? Do we take the gospel everywhere, where we live, where we eat, where we work, where we play? Not just in our actions, but are we sparking conversations, moving past the uncomfortability to meet people, ask people if they want to be prayed for? Are we willing to do those types of things? And if we're sent as Jesus, we go as Jesus in love, but we also preach Jesus' message, not our message. We don't want to water anything down, of course, yeah, but the main thing is what Jesus preached was repent and be baptized. And it's in Christ. So this is all an invitation to the person of Jesus. Um, We're going to close here, so I'll invite the band to come up. But I just kind of want to spark some thoughts as we're thinking, how might we be able to take Christ everywhere? Again, we do this not for Christ. We do this with Christ. Whether you get in on Christ's mission or not, Jesus is going to do what he's going to do. But God gives us the grace to be a part of those things. So right now we're going to jump into this time of response, and uh, we're going to take 
communion together, which is a show and a, and a unifying act that we do that we are in Christ. If you've not gotten to take communion before because you're not in Christ, I would encourage you, let this be the first time, and I would love to pray with you. We are going to have people on the sides that they're going to want to pray with you too. Um, and we're also um, just super encouraged. We have Bibles in the back. We'd love to give you if you don't have one. Um, but we'll come up. We'll take confession. If you came prepared to give, uh, there's boxes in the back. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, you've given us a peace um, and it's such a beautiful, wonderful gift, such an expensive gift. Um, and you've also given us the assurance that we'll have it forever. It's permanent. Um, Lord, I do pray that over us that you would form us in the image of you. I pray that we would be able to take this message, be formed by it, and take your peace, your message, proclaiming the gospel to the world. I pray you'd help us do that well, um, invigorate our minds, that we might think creatively about this. Um, and Lord, I also pray your blessing on the rest of this day. In Jesus' name, amen.
Till that storm was moved for good For the lamb that conquered death And the dead was from their tombs Cheers. 
bright crimson robes draped over the ashes a wide open tomb where there should be casket the children are singing and dancing and laughing the father is welcoming this is our homecoming roses in bloom pushed up from today, would you just put your hands out like this, like you're receiving something. And as we've learned that Jesus taught that it is better to give than to receive. And so we were blessed in order to be a blessing for this world. So as you have your hands out here today, would you receive peace that you may give peace to the world? Would you receive hope that you may give hope to the world? And would you receive joy that you may give joy to the world? Go and live all of life, all for Jesus. Thanks for being with us today.